What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you, early morning hours of Thursday, August 25th, 2022. As we're breaking down a Cardinals loss today, indeed, they were playing that damn song again on the north side of Chicago tonight after the Cubs defeat the Cardinals 7-1 at Wrigley Field. Strange game for the Cardinals. A few weird things going on. Nolan Arenado probably topping the list with his early ejection in that game. We'll talk about the events that led to Nolan getting run from this contest pretty early on and how the Cardinals weren't able to rally after that happened in terms of any sort of offensive punch to their game. We'll talk Newt because he was the one guy that came up with a key swing for the Cardinals in the game. But other than Lars Newtbar, the leadoff man tonight against the right-handed pitcher, for the Cubs, Cardinals couldn't get anything going. And these games are going to happen, but boy, you wish they wouldn't happen three times in one series against the Cubs, a team that doesn't have a lot of great hitting, a lot of great pitching. And you certainly don't want to see it happen against Luke Farrell, who was on the mound tonight as the Cubs starting pitcher, but really he was in a bullpen game is what the expectation would have been a journeyman pitcher who hasn't really even been a starter much at the minor league level and did a nice job putting the Cardinals down for about half the game on Wednesday. So we'll talk about that, get into every little nitty-gritty detail as the Cardinals, yeah, it's not what you wanted, but hey, at the end of the day, they're still up in the National League Central. They didn't lose any ground on Wednesday. That's the good news. The Los Angeles Dodgers took care of the Milwaukee Brewers 12-6. to so that's nice. So we'll get into a little bit of everything on tonight's episode of V-Shape Daily. But before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. I guess Spotify too, but I check every day on Apple and I'll know if the number went up. So I'll appreciate that if you leave a, a good review or a bad one. But uh, good is more preferable, I would suppose. And if you're interested in supporting B-Shape Daily and the work I'm doing here with the podcast every day, you can do so by heading to my Twitter account, click on the Money tab, and you'll be linked to either Cash App or Venmo. Another way you can help out and support the show is by going to patreon.com slash bshafer12 and signing up to become a monthly patron over there. That would be really awesome as well, and I've mentioned it a little bit, but uh, sports gambling some Mizzou football content and fantasy football stuff as well is going to be over there coming up pretty soon. So if that's something you're interested in, at least give it a try. Check it out. Patreon.com slash bshafer12. Appreciate you guys all for being here, though. So let's jump right into the content this evening. Kind of a stinker of a game for the Cardinals, but certainly some interesting elements to discuss that came out of it. I don't know what's going on this week with the Cardinals v. Umpires. But it's getting a little bit weird for my taste, right? Nolan Arenado is the victim tonight. And I didn't really like the way this situation played out for a couple of reasons. First of all, earlier in the week, you had Ali Marmol versus C.B. Buckner. And I didn't like when Buckner threw Ali out of that game. I believe that was out in Arizona. Time kind of blends together, but I'm going to go with that was the case. But regardless of where it took place. Buckner throws Ollie out of the game, and as they're arguing back and forth, I didn't like the way that C.B. Buckner 
sort of belittled Ali Marmel. Ali mentioned after the game that he questioned his time in the league. So Ali said, I returned the favor to him and questioned his time in the league. We talked about that a few days ago on B-Shape Daily. I just don't think it's really an umpire's place to get into that unprofessional area where you're sort of smirking at a guy or, you know, obviously a player or a manager, when they're upset, they're going to blow off some steam. It's your job as the umpire to just sort of take it, right? And Buckner, I didn't like the fact that he was arguing back with Ollie Marmel. He was dishing it out. And even as other umpires or other people are kind of separating the two, Buckner was still running his mouth. Like, I don't understand that. That's that's not the umpire's place to be doing that. But then we saw a little bit of a different iteration of a home plate umpire acting unprofessionally, in my opinion, on Wednesday when Nolan Arenado got rung up for the check swing. That ended the top of the third inning. The Cardinals were threatening with a couple of guys on base. Now, check swings are really hard for me personally. Like, I never can tell, really, when you say, yeah, this guy swung or he didn't. I, It's really subjective. I know there are rules to it, but it's sort of like an art form in, in a certain way. You're Everybody's going to see something different when they look at it, like it's a painting in a museum. In this case, I don't think Arenado went around, but I could see the other side of it. My thing is this. When it's that close and that questionable and obviously an important spot in the game when there's runners on base and a guy in scoring position, and really it shouldn't matter the moment of the game, I tend to believe that unless you're just so certain as the home plate umpire, why make the call? The catcher is going to appeal down to first base, and that's the guy with the best vantage point of the situation. And a lot of time you hear the announcers say, you'd like to see the umpire try to get some help in that spot. But if he's making the call at home plate, apparently he's pretty certain about it. But typically, I would prefer to go that way as well, where the home plate umpire doesn't have to jump out on it unless he is just so certain. And I don't know how you can be so certain about a check swing like that. It Again, it's a subjective situation. And the guy down at first is the one with the best vantage point. You know the catcher's going to ask. But I think it's just, it's the umpire wanting to make a call, right? Like, if I'm the home plate umpire, I'm not going to wait around for the guy at first to essentially, at that point, it looks like, oh, well, he's overruling me because I didn't say he swung. But that's really, the, it really should be the job of the, the first or third base umpire, depending on whether it's a left-handed or right-handed batter at the plate. That's my personal preference for it. Obviously, in this case, it screwed the Cardinals because they would have had a chance to continue that inning. Arenado would have been on first base. I think it would have been bases loaded at that point. And when that was going on, I was listening to the radio broadcast, and John Rooney couldn't believe it. He said, oh, Arenado walks. Oh, wait a minute. No, he didn't. <laughs> they called him out. They said it was strike three. He, he swung the bat, and Arenado immediately lights up, right? You know this is a competitive, fiery guy, and he was pissed. He was completely PO'd, and that's the point where I felt like the home plate umpire got unprofessional. If you're going to make a judgment call, whatever, that's one thing. I... A bad call, we see tons of them all the time in baseball. I don't, rarely do I get really fired up about it because it's just not even surprising anymore. But certainly on a check swing call, like there are some calls that are egregious. We've seen several of those made against the Cardinals and in in some cases for the Cardinals in recent weeks. But a check swing call, as much as it had an impact on the game, I wouldn't personally go, oh boy, that, what a terrible umpiring job. Yes, I prefer the first base umpire to be the one that that can make that call, but it wouldn't have been the end of the world. But Nolan Arenado thinks he has first base to himself, and you just told him otherwise. So 
yeah, he's going to be a little bit upset. And so there were a couple of things that the umpire did that I wasn't fond of at this point. And you could make the argument that one was more egregious than the other. But the first one was throwing Nolan Arenado out of the game within a couple of seconds. And we don't know exactly what was said. You can hear initially Arenado just yells, no, no, no. Actually, I can play that for you right here. This will be from uh, the Bally Sports broadcast. But listen for Nolan. You'll be able to hear it come through after the pitch is thrown. And another 3-2 pitch. Yeah, you can hear it right there, Arenado. I just hear the no-no-no's coming through. I don't know what else was said thereafter. It took John Libka, well, I can let it play and, and find out. It took John Libka about a second and a half to two seconds after the no-no-no's ring out to toss Nolan Arenado from the game. So we don't know what was said in those those split-second moments because the, the microphone seemed to kind of cut out, but initially he was hot. I mean, Arenado is as competitive of a guy as you're going to find. And should he have probably had a better control of himself in that spot? Yeah. But at the same time, I think an umpire, part of his job is to recognize that, and, and this should be true whether it's a star player or not, but especially with a star player. Like, I'm okay with those guys getting special treatment because the fans come to see those guys play. That's the reality. And those guys have the most impact on the game, on the outcome. So, in my opinion, yeah, in that spot, if you're the umpire, you know that Ali Marmel is going to be out there in a split second. Give him a moment. Let him protect his player. Run the manager if you need to. But there should be a little bit of leeway, I think, for a guy like Arenado in that position. I would have preferred to see Libka just take a moment, take a beat there, check the Cardinals dugout, kind of look over that way, give Ollie the ice, like, hey, come get your guy. Because it's the, it's the third inning at that point. You know what I mean? There's a lot of baseball to be played in this game, and Arenado is the Cardinals' best player, one of the, their top couple of players. And I would say the same thing if it were a Cub in that situation. I, I, I At least I'd like to think so. I guess I guess you can call me on it if, if the opposite ever happens and I, I say otherwise, but... I feel like, as a general rule, that would be the way I would would want to lean, is just a little bit of caution there, take a beat, see if you can't get Ollie in there and get his guy out of there. Maybe Arenado said something that that just wasn't an option for John Lipkin. So that's why I say that's not the more egregious one. To me, though, a little bit more egregious was the facial expression and the reaction by Lipka. Like, I... It probably was a little jarring because Arenado, again, I don't know what he said, but you could tell by his his body language and his reaction and what you heard with the no-no-nos that he was pretty upset. And I, it may have been that John Lipka was just sort of taken aback by that, but his reaction was to laugh and smirk and sort of make light of it with, with Arenado screaming in his face. Maybe that was just a defense mechanism. I don't know. But that was, I did consider that to be unprofessional because you've got a guy that's upset about a call you made. A lot of people would say it's the wrong call. Again, with a check swing, it's a little tricky for me to, to sit here and say, absolutely, it was the wrong call. I think it was. I don't think it was the right call. But easily the worst call was to eject Arenado from the game two and a half to three seconds after that questionable call was made. That was not, that was not the way that should have been handled. And... The fact that it happens, and then Arenado, that's only going to make him more pissed off, obviously. 
and then your reaction is to just laugh in his face. That's two umpires in a week now that have had run-ins with the Cardinals, and I've taken more away from their facial reactions and their expressions, the umpires, than anything else from these these run-ins. So that's just a little bit weird to me. Let's hear what Ollie Marmel had to say about it on the post-game show on Bally Sports. Cardinals manager obviously was not happy with his top players, third baseman, being run from this game in the third inning of a Cardinals loss in Chicago on Wednesday night. Yeah, he was uh, obviously upset about it. Um, I was upset about it. It was a frustrating call, honestly. Um, the reality is John's behind the plate. He's a good umpire. He does a really nice job back there um, all the way around. He's uh, consistent and fair. I think uh, tonight wasn't handled correctly at all. One, I think he got the call wrong. Um, he should have checked. And then two, that should have been handled completely different with uh, with Nolan. Uh, There's no reason for an ejection. So it impacts the game in the moment, and then it impacts the rest of the game without having your one of your best players on the field. Um, playing hard and making a run for it. That uh that can't be handled that way moving forward. Well he had there was a he had a smile on his face the home plate umpire. Does that exacerbate an emotional situation? Yeah, I'm not worried about the smile right now, honestly. Um I'm more frustrated with the fact that you can impact the, the course of the game that badly. Um I think it should be handled completely different. Could you give an explanation why he was ejected so quickly? Yeah and that's why I'm saying it should have been handled completely different. Because they didn't merit an ejection, ever. We feel like it was just a matter of a rather quick trigger then. Listen, there, there's th- this is a high-stake environment. Bottom line, emotions are going to be high, and uh, you have to have thick skin. That right there should have been handled differently. So I like that explanation from Ali Marmel, courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest on their Twitter account, where he says, I didn't really care about the smile. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the way that it impacted the team. And I totally agree. I knew that was going to be his reaction to it. But for me, I'm just alarmed that it's happened to the Cardinals twice in a week where an umpire has made, whether it's a snide remark, which it seemed that Buckner did about Ollie Marmel, saying that you know his, he was questioning his time in the league, to just kind of a bemused smile smirk that Libka just gave to Arenado on Wednesday night. It was just a little bit weird for me. But Ollie went in and he said basically the same things that I was thinking with regard to that shouldn't happen, that can't happen in that situation. Got to have thicker skin. And Ollie, he does this sometimes where, you know, he's asked the question and he said, yeah, that's why I'm saying it needed to have been handled differently because maybe he got some additional information and he said, I, from, you know, I, I got my explanation and based on that explanation, that's why I'm upset because it, what I was told did not merit an ejection. Now, is that Libka told Ali Marmel, yeah, he called me this, this, or that, or he said this or that. And that's where Marmel says you got to have thicker skin. Emotions are going to be high. Tensions are high. We're we're trying to do something this year. Like, that's that's the mindset if you're Ali Marmel and the Cardinals. So whatever might have been said, the expectation, the hope anyway, if you're Ali Marmel, is that the umpire can suck it up for a moment until the manager can get out there to to grab his guy and, and defuse the situation. Eject me if you've got to. That's got to be Ollie Marmel's mindset, and I'm sure it's the one he has, but by the time he got out there, there's nothing he could have done. And that's what Danny Mac even said on the broadcast. you got to get Arenado out of there 
but then oh, it's too late. Can't can't do anything about it now. It's he's already run. You just can't. You hate to see it that quickly. Did Arenado have an over the top reaction? Yeah, a little bit. But at the same time, like heat of competition, I don't have any. I really don't have any problem with it. You know, opposing fan bases are are having a field day on Twitter about it, saying, "Oh, Arenado pitched to fit." That's classic. Ha ha. I I I view it as a guy that is a a warrior type of competitor out there, and he thought he got absolutely hosed by the call. Ali Marmol seemed to agree. I didn't expect Ali to say anything different. I think it was a bad call, but it, I, again, I'm not so upset about the call aspect of it in terms of not asking for help down at first base, even though I do believe that is what should have taken place. That like That's what you should do in that spot as the umpire for me, for the way that I would like to see it handled in general. But that's not the one that gets me. What gets me is running Arnauta from the game because it does change the entire complexion of the game, and it hurts the Cardinals in a couple of different ways. Obviously, offensively, in a game that they lose 7-1, to one, you'd like to have had his bat in there. Paul DeYoung comes in for him and strikes out twice. That's cool. <laughs> wasn't uh, wasn't the night offensively for Pauly D. And he's, he's back down to hitting 170, by the way. OPS has dipped back below 600 to 599. But defensively as well, Edmund ends up playing third base. That's not a spot he's super familiar with. Donovan was the first baseman tonight. Unrelated to the Arenado ejection, that was just where they decided to play him. Give Goldie a night off and a, and a full night off. Wonder if you're tempted in that spot to have Goldie come out and play the rest of the game because Arenado leaves. You could easily put Goldie in there as a big spot in your lineup instead of having Paul DeYoung bat number three in your lineup. It can be Paul Goldschmidt and Brendan Donovan defensively. That's the one spot I don't love him at his first base, and he had an error over there tonight. Ends up leading to a home run that made Miles Michaelis' evening a little bit worse. But by then it was going to be game over anyway because the Cardinals had only scored one run, but that would be the one question I would have, but I know the answer to it already. Paul Goldschmidt was getting the full night off regardless. Day game on Thursday, I'm sure he's going to be in there, and so the plan certainly was Goldie is going to take the night off. But if he could have come into play first, I like Brandon Donovan much better defensively over at third. You can leave Edmund at shortstop. That would have been a nice luxury, but the Cardinals didn't feel they had it tonight. You do have to respect the off day for for guys. Guys like Goldschmidt rarely ever get them, and so I think that was certainly the case with him tonight. And so they weren't going to go to him. And uh, losing Arenado and having Goldschmidt out of the lineup, you've got six innings to cover with out your two best hitters. And that's not something that the Cardinals are typically used to. And it showed up. Ten strikeouts tonight for the Cardinals. They scattered nine hits. Corey Dickerson goes four for four again. Well, not again. He was four for five on Tuesday night. But four for four for Corey Dickerson. His average is suddenly up to 268, and he's got an OPS over 700. It's to 716. Higher than Dylan Carlson for the full season. Unbelievable what Corey Dickerson has been up to recently for the Cardinals. Like, it's bonkers. This was a guy that everybody was ready to ride him out of town on a rail. And understandably, because you sign him in spring training, I said, oh, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Does it feel a little bit redundant with Lars Newtbar? Yeah, I guess. But we don't know if Lars Newtbar is any good. Like, that was still, was he Edmundo Sosa territory where he could be a spark plug and that's kind of fun and cute? Or could he actually, could he ball? Well, Lars Newtbar, we know now, can ball. He homered tonight, providing the only run for the Cardinals. And in my opinion, should be the starter going into next season in right field. Like that should be the plan. 
his eighth home run of the season tonight. But Corey Dickerson, at the beginning of the season, was bad. Lars Newpar was also bad. So they deferred to the veteran. They gave him more playing time. They sent Newpar back to Memphis. And it was just the outfield situation wasn't a good one. Cardinals were dealing with injuries. O'Neill was injured at times. Bader was obviously injured. Carlson, I think, had a, an injury stint earlier in the season. And so it was just all around bad. Nobody was really coming through. Now you get into a situation where Lars Newpar is carrying the damn offense half the time. His OPS is 824 for the season. He's been marvelous over the last couple of months. But Corey Dickerson is doing similar things. And what's interesting about it is I think there's an argument to be made and this was the way the Cardinals went with the lineup tonight against a right-handed pitcher, and they did the same thing last night. No Dylan Carlson in the starting lineup. And I think that might be the play, honestly. At least for as long as you're seeing Corey Dickerson do the thing that he's doing offensively. And here's why. When you look at the way the Cardinals are constructed, it has very much been with the platoon splits in mind and I've made comments on this show that the Cardinals are as well equipped to put their best foot forward on a daily basis as they ever have been. Or maybe not ever. The MV3 years was pretty good. But what I'm saying is the bench actually fits and makes sense to what they're trying to do. Once I got rid of Sosa, it was like, oh yeah, I can see it now. Everything makes sense. And that has meant Albert Pujols, he plays against lefties, we all know it. Nolan Gorman's going to play against righties. We all know it. But you can go a little bit deeper than the Cardinals even have done. Like, Brandon Donovan probably going to play against righties. That's been the construction near the top of the lineup. Newt Barr has been leading off against righties. Donovan has been batting number two. That's been working out pretty well. They both go one for four tonight, and obviously Newt Barr with the home run. So still painting out pretty decently. I've mentioned that Donovan can be a guy that can play against lefties or righties, though, because he's not a very splitty guy. Despite being a lefty and a batter, not a switch hitter, he's been pretty good against both sides. So I'd give him a chance against both sides. But Dylan Carlson has been splitty. Despite being a switch hitter, he has been very susceptible to struggles against right-handed pitching this year. 213 is his batting average against righties. And obviously, that's where the bulk of his opportunities have come. 303 plate appearances. It's because there are more righties in baseball than lefties. But a 213 batting average and a 637 OPS for Dylan Carlson against right-handed pitching this year. And he's a switch hitter. Now, that's pretty bad, but it's not that he's just having a bad season all around. He's still crushing lefties. 324 batting average with a 904 OPS against left-handed pitching. 112 plate appearances. So when he's batting from the right side, he's been great. The numbers are night and day. Batting average is over 100 points higher. On base is nearly 100 points higher at 384 compared to 290. And he's slugging about 150 points more. 170 points more, rather. 520 slug percentage against lefties and 347 against righties. So he shouldn't be playing against right-handed pitching is the, the reality right now. And slowly but surely, I think it's getting to that point where yesterday Dickerson got the start. He went four for five. And then when the righty came out of the game and the Cubs went to their bullpen, brought in Dylan Carlson, he went one for two, had a nice two RBI hit. Made sense. That's when you're maximizing your your roster. Tonight, no Carlson. And again, if there's an injury reason or something else that I'm unaware of, maybe that happened. 
But I think it might just be, well, Dickerson's crushing right now, and he's been very good. He's a left-handed batter, good against righties. Put him in there, four for four, just like that. So it's really unfortunate, but I think it's the reality at this point that Dylan Carlson may be turning into more of a platoon-based player. And I don't know if the answer is stop being a switch hitter or if the answer is find a way to get better against right-handed pitching because you didn't not trade for Juan Soto to have Dylan Carlson be a platoon player. That's what's frustrating about it. It doesn't hurt the Cardinals in the present to have him sit the bench against righties. Not if Dickerson is going to get a hit every time he bats. What is he, nine of his last ten now? Or eight of his last nine, I should say. Four for five, and then tonight four for four. So it doesn't hurt the Cardinals to put their better lineup out there. But the fact that it is their better lineup is a concern, for me at least long term. Like O'Neill handling center field, that's good. That's probably necessary because if Carlson were to get hurt, you wouldn't have any other center fielders on the roster. So if he's able to handle it out there, that it's good to know that he can do that job. But you really wish it didn't have to be that your switch hitter, guy that you, you came into the season hoping he could be your leadoff batter every day, has turned into essentially a platoon guy because he's been fantastic against left-handed pitching and against righties. 213 average with a 637 OPS. You can't slug 347. You can't be Dylan Carlson and slug 347. And that's a too high of a sample size to ignore at this point in 2022. Hopefully his ceiling moving forward is vastly different from that. We can recognize that, hey, Tyler O'Neill was great last year. He had like an 888 slug against even right-handed pitching. And not slug. That would be noteworthy. 888 OPS against righties for O'Neill last year. OPS over 1,000 against lefties. Guys are always going to be a little splitty, but he was just a great hitter last year, Tyler O'Neill was. This year, he hasn't been. OPS down below 700, got issues to work through against both sides pitching, right or left. But that's the encouragement is, all right, we've seen it from Tyler O'Neill before, so we don't have to think that what we see from him right now is just what you're going to get moving forward. There could be more upside within him that he can unlock. The Cardinals have to hope the same is true for Dylan Carlson. Because like I said, Juan Soto was an option. And they had a lot of faith in Dylan Carlson. I had a lot of faith in Dylan Carlson. I said at the time, no, I wouldn't trade Dylan Carlson and Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn and all those guys. But in retrospect, you might look back and say, oh boy. That would have been nice to maybe have that one extra piece instead of a guy who's sort of profiling right now as a platoon player. The one thing I will say is I think it would have taken Carlson and Jordan Walker. I don't think you would have been able to to get that deal done without both. And Jordan Walker is fantastic. He's still looking really good in the minors. So even if Carlson is, is kind of sputtering right now, one, I think he's a better player than what we're seeing offensively from him right now against right-handed pitching. I, I think he will eventually come out of it. But you're in the middle of a pennant race right now if you're the Cardinals. You don't have time to worry about whether he's going to come out of it on, on what given day. If Corey Dickerson's getting a hit every time he bats against a certain type of pitching and Carlson is struggling against that type of pitching, I don't care what the guy's names are. You put the right guys in the lineup. And that's what Ali Marmel has done recently. You, you, we'll see going forward. Like over the next week, I'll be curious to see how often does Dylan Carlson not play against right-handed pitching. Because right now, Corey Dickerson is lighting the world on fire and you're not going to sit Lars Nupar. Lars Nupar is a left-handed batter who is crushing right-handed pitching. So... You could sit Tyler O'Neill, but he's got at least some power upside that we've seen from him. 
Dylan has not offered much ups- upside at all against right-handed pitching. So you might as well say, well, let's maximize the damn splits and put two left-handed hitting corner outfielders in, in the lineup each day. It's going to be Dickerson. It's going to be Newt We thought at the beginning they would be fighting for one spot. In April, May, neither of them wanted the spot. They were both hitting very poorly. Now both of them are excelling, and Holly Marmel, to his credit, is finding ways to get these guys in the lineup. Corey Dickerson's around for the re- remainder of the season, by the way. Like, they're not cutting this guy. They shouldn't cut this guy. I still see people kind of lagging behind on Twitter saying, oh, he's just having a, a, a nice little stretch, but be better to have Alec Burleson or be better to, you know, whomever. Nope, it wouldn't be. Corey Dickerson offensively has been fantastic. He's not a great defender. He's slow. He doesn't really get the balls. He had a line drive go over his head today. I don't love that. I'd DH him if I could, but you've typically got your DH accounted for when it comes to, A, like getting guys rest, which happens, or Albert Pujols is going to be in there against left-handed pitching. Tonight with Goldie out, he's in there against a right-hander, but Brendan Donovan slides into first base. Donovan could have been the DH. That's what we've seen at times recently, but he's got to be in the lineup because of the way he can hit in general, not just right-handed pitching. But that's part of the reason that Corey Dickerson can't get in there against a righty. It's going to be Nolan Gorman is going to be in the game. Is he going to be playing second base or is he going to be the DH? Well, if you want to get Gorman and Donovan in there and Edmund's going to play a lot and they want to find ways for DeYoung to play as well, if you're going to play DeYoung, it should be against a left-handed pitcher on the other side. So makes it difficult to get Dickerson into the DH role where I think he would be better suited, not because he's a power hitter, but because he's not a great fielder. But for now, it kind of is what it is. If he's going to get a hit every at-bat, I, I don't really care. He could be Jose Martinez out there defensively, and if, if he's going to hit, he's going to hit. So liking what we're seeing right now from Dickerson, he's around for the long haul. Hopefully he keeps us up and gives the Cardinals some alternatives to just having to run Carlson out there and, and hoping he turns it around. He's, like I said, big sample size of, of struggling right now for Carlson against righties. We'll see if that is something he's given the chance to work his way out of as much as he had been or if this is sort of a, a changing of the guard a little bit as the Cardinals lean even further into platoon splits. That really very well may be the way that they end up going with this, so we'll have to wait and see. Cardinals get the loss 7-1. to one. I mentioned Newt Barr with the home run. Good to see from him, man. He's having some fun as he uh, was around in second base. I saw a reply to my my Newt Nation stand-up tweet. That's basically, I, I've got my tropes, and one of them is Newt Nation stand-up anytime Lars does anything. I've got BFD. Everybody knows what that stands for. But uh, with Newt Barr, somebody replied a weird meme that I had never seen before. It's the penguin. And it says, Newt, Newt, mother effers. And I decided I would like to have that on a t-shirt. <laughs> and somebody sent me a link. And I apparently I can't have that on a t-shirt. I didn't actually buy it. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it. I like funny t-shirts. So maybe maybe that's in consideration. But Hey, Lars Dupart, what he should be in consideration for is continuing to bat at the top of the lineup every time against a right-handed pitcher. He's been so good this year. Not all year, but the fact that he's been as good as he's been for the last couple of months to where his previously really bad numbers now look fantastic, that says something. That's pretty notable. Last 30 games for Lars Dupart, not 30 days, but 30 games, according to MLB.com. 287 average, a 435 on base, and a 552 slug. I mean, those are significant numbers. Do some quick math here. That's an OPS of 987. Man, he's been good. His last 30 games, 24 walks to 16 strikeouts. He's doing the thing. He's doing the walk to strikeout ratio. 
that you rarely see in only four home runs in those 30 games. But, I mean, you you prorate that to 150 games a full season. Lars Neupar is a 20-home run guy with 75 RBIs, maybe not, not quite 75. He's on pace for about 70 if you take his last 30 games and you, you multiply it by five. Betting leadoff might make it a little bit tougher to get the RBIs, but he's a he's a 20 home run, 70 RBI guy that's going to walk probably over 100 times. He's going to walk more than he strikes out if he if he continues that up. I don't think that's sustainable, but that's what he's done. This guy could be the leadoff man next year, and I wouldn't I wouldn't think a thing of it. I would say, yep, that probably makes sense. He's earned it. So really happy to see Lars Newpar, and I feel vindicated too because I remember preseason back in spring training. Everybody was talking Frankie Montas and said, oh, Lars Dupar for Montas. It makes perfect sense. Do the deal now because they signed Corey Dickerson. That means they're going to trade Lars Dupar. I said, no, they're not. That has nothing to do with it. They just need some more depth in the outfield because guys tend to get hurt on this team in the outfield. And sure as shooting, it happened. Guys have been getting hurt all year in the outfield. But it didn't mean that they 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 felt Lars Dupar was not still a guy that had a chance to be part of the future. Now, at the beginning of the year, they didn't seem to trust him a lot because he wasn't performing, but it was the chicken or the egg. He wasn't getting opportunities. He'd go to Memphis. He'd hit like crazy. He'd come up. He wouldn't play. I feel like he was misused at the beginning of the year, personally, because I feel like they were trying to give some deference to the veteran, Corey Dickerson, because they had just paid him $5 bucks, but he wasn't doing anything, and that made life difficult on everybody because it was just a little bit of confusion on what they needed to be doing with that outfield spot. But now Lars Newpar has really settled into his own, and I just feel vindicated for it because at midseason time, you would have said, oh, wow. If preseason, if back in March you were saying, don't trade Newpar for Frankie Montas, like imagine mid-July before the trade deadline when they came up with Quintana and Montgomery, if you had gone back and said, yeah, remember when Brendan Schaefer said, no, don't trade Lars Newpar for Frankie Montas? How dumb would that look when people at that time were ready to give a lot of stuff for Frankie Montas? Not me. I, I sort of soured on the guy, and I, I wasn't feeling it. I, but like I said, beginning of the year, I wasn't feeling it. So not because I don't think he's a good pitcher, but because I just didn't think that was the fit. Now I feel vindicated because Lars Newpar is more a part of the Cardinals' future as a starting outfielder than Harrison Bader is, obviously, because he's gone. I would say that Lars Newpar has surpassed Tyler O'Neill in terms of the future consideration. Like, if one of those two guys is getting traded this offseason, it's not going to be Lars Newpar. That would shock me. Tyler O'Neill's getting paid more, and he's not been as consistent of a performer. Granted, last year he was a very consistent performer, larger sample size of success than what we've seen so far from Lars, but the way things are going right now, I it, it's possible neither of those guys get traded, right? But and they they damn well not better not trade Dylan Carlson because if they if they do, it's because they're trading low after a rough season. So Got to, got to see things through on him. And maybe they don't, like I said, maybe they don't trade anybody. But I'm looking at the 2023 Cardinals, and I'm I'm changing my mind from whatever I did on that podcast. It's several weeks ago. You can scroll back on your B-shaped daily feed. I'm I'm team Lars Newpar at this point to uh, be the, the leadoff man next year, especially against right-handed pitching. You can, you can have it be a little splitty. You could have Dylan Carlson lead off against lefties. He's been great against lefties. But for me, it's Lars Newpar against right-handed pitching. He's, he's really looked good and earned the job and earned the opportunity to keep it. So thank you for that vindication. I believed in you when people wanted to trade you for Frankie Montas. That's going to about do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I guess we could talk a little bit of Miles Michaelis, but it's just kind of a weird outing for him. I mentioned the error 
by Brendan Donovan that extended his outing in a negative way, made it go from a quality start, six and two-thirds, might have been a seventh-inning outing for him if you get that play taken care of. Seven innings and three runs looks a lot better than six and two-third and five runs, which is what ended up happening. Only three were earned, so I guess technically it is still a quality start for Michaelis, but a little frustrating that he gives up the home run there after the error. Not a whole lot to say, though. I thought he pitched okay. Cardinals got to score runs. That's why they don't win the game. So I don't really have a whole lot to add besides that. If you have more that you'd like for me to add, a couple of ways you can reach out to me. At pshaver12 on Twitter, as always. Send me a direct message. Send me a tweet, whatever. Or you can go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. That's anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. And you can record your own voicemail. We heard an example of that on yesterday's show, I believe it was. So uh, now you know what that looks like. Would love for you guys to get involved that way. And if if you can do one thing, if you don't want to do the Patreon, if you don't want to do the anchor.fm, if you don't want to do anything else, leave a review. That's one thing that would be very helpful. Leave a review if you enjoy the podcast. If you don't, don't leave a review uh, because you'll, you'll bring down the average rating and that'll make me sad. So thank you guys for joining me. As always, appreciate you for listening for real. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.